right now we're going we're gonna to have a little video, supposedly, a little update from Pastor Tim. So direct yourself up here. Hope you're having a fantastic Sunday. I know that you've been enjoying uh, the teachings and the worship, and I'm so thankful that we have gifted people that are able to do that. Thank you so much, Kate, for leading worship. Pastor Mike, Pastor Brian, for sharing the pulpit. And um, I know you're being blessed by them so much. And uh, I just wanted to take a moment and just say hello. Uh, we miss you guys tremendously. We are currently in Missoula, Montana. Our plans have changed slightly. We're not uh, simply just staying in one spot for 30 days trying to survive in the mountains. <laughs> we did that for a few days, but uh, you know that, that worked out okay. But um, we decided to change things up a little bit. And we're, we're kind of going, going to different parts of Montana. We're currently in Western Montana, Northwestern Montana, up in Missoula, Montana headed to Glacier National Park. I lived in Montana my whole life, never been to Glacier National Park, so we figured we better get up there and see that. We are also um, just enjoying time with family as we're here as well. We have multiple family members that are here with us, and um, so we're just really enjoying our time. I wanna take a moment this Sunday and just share something with you that the Lord had, had shown me as we were up in the mountains. You know, uh, we were, we took this, just difficult path all up to the campsite that we were staying in in East Rosebud Lake. And um, it was, uh, we were all about halfway through, man. I didn't know if we were gonna make it. It, it was so difficult, the hike was so difficult. We don't know why, I mean, maybe it's the altitude, maybe uh, we just don't know how to hike, I don't know. Maybe it was the packs that we had on our backs. Um, but, but the reality was is, um, you know, all we could do is look down at the path and put one foot uh, in front of the other and as we were journeying up that that path the Lord showed me something he told me to look up and I looked up and I saw the beautiful mountains and and the surroundings and um, you know the Lord shared something with me in that moment he said Tim so oftentimes we don't take a, take the moment to look up from the difficult journey that we're journeying you know I don't know what you're going through today but life is hard things are hard you know, and sometimes all we can do is put one, one foot in front of the other and we continue on that difficult path. But man, if we'll just take a moment, we'll look up, we'll just lift our eyes up from the path. You know, get zoom out is what I like to say. Zoom out from all the details that are going on in your lives and just look around and see the beauty of what God is doing. I think oftentimes we miss that. And the Lord just uh, reinvigorated my um, my heart as I considered that and I looked around and I thought oh man this is worth it the walk the hike all the pain that we're going through is worth it look at what we get to see we would have never been able to see uh, the sights that we were able to see had we not taken that difficult journey so I want to encourage you hey if you're on a difficult path today look up for a moment God's with you he is doing something in you just continue to, to put one foot in front of the other but don't forget to look up don't just keep your eyes focused on the path. You'll miss what God is doing around you. So I hope you, I know you're gonna enjoy this, uh, this Sunday morning uh, service today, Daniel chapter nine, verses 20 through 27. This is an incredible passage, uh, incredibly important passage as it relates to biblical prophecy. And I'm so thankful that Pastor Mike is gonna share that message with you this morning. So I hope that your heart is ready. I hope that you are um, encouraged this morning, and I hope that uh, you'll just take a moment and look up and see what the Lord is doing. God bless you guys. We miss you so much, and we can't wait to see you. We'll be back August 2nd, 
and uh, we can't wait for that time together. God bless you. Have a great morning. <laughs> hey, church, Amen. Pastor Tim. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, there we go. Oh, amen to that. And all I got to say is when he gets back, I get to punch his man card for growing his beard out. So that's good. And if you notice, there's a little more gray in there. So I don't know if that's the hike or being contained with his teenagers 24-7. I don't know. But either way, it was a great update. So um, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. And uh, the lovely pastor, Brian Thacker, will make sure you get one. I know there's uh, one, in, one or two in the back there, Pastor. So um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Daniel. Oh, he said chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. That's not what I got ready to teach. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So. Uh, J- Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 27. Um, I just want to go before the Lord before we read. So, Father, we thank and we praise you for just that update reminding us that, Lord, we need to look up to you. We so many times, I know in my own personal life, get so focused on the, on the mundane and the things that are around us, and I forget to look up, Lord, to see just the wonderful things that you've done in my life and the blessings. And, Lord, I know there's many times that we, we, we tend to complain about things that don't matter, Lord. So thank you for that word of encouragement today, and I pray, Lord, that that is exactly what we do with your word today, that as we read your word, it would prepare our hearts, as Pastor Tim said, and that we would look to you for what's coming in the future. And so we commit commit this time to you now for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you would stand with me uh, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27, uh, we're just going to read the first couple verses and we'll get started. Um, and while we're doing that, um, uh, Miss Lori, if you would throw that, uh, uh, the picture of the Statue of Empires up. So verse uh, 20 says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. You can be seated. So before we get into the chapter itself, I want to do a quick review. Now, if, if you remember from Daniel chapter 8 and the first part of chapter 9, that when I was teaching the last time, um, we, Daniel in uh, chapter 2 had a vision, or King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision and Daniel interpreted it, right? And these are the kingdoms that are going to come from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, which we know were the, the Babylonians, right, on down through the, the head of gold to the chest, which was um, the Medo-Persians, and then the brass, which was uh, um, Alexander the Great, right, and then the, the thighs and legs of the iron, which we know is the Roman Empire. And then finally, at the very base, uh, it's iron mixed with clay. And, of course, that representation means that that final empire that rules the world, which we know is future, Maybe not so future, but future, like maybe tomorrow, maybe, I don't know, or, or 10 years down the road, is going to come from those legs of iron, meaning it's going to be from the old Roman Empire. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, okay, which is the, the uh, image of the beast, which Miss Lori is going to put up right now, it's the same. It's exactly the same, just a little different, different representation. You know, the head of gold, which is Babylon, is now 
the lion. And of course, we know the lion, it was a symbol of Babylon. And Pastor Tim talked about that when he taught chapter 7. The Medo-Persian Empire is now representative of the bear. The um, the, the Grecian Empire is now the leopard, and of course we know that the leopard had four heads, right? The leopard had four heads, okay, and four wings, because after Alexander the Great died, those four generals divided up his empire. And from those four generals, that little horn came up. And if you remember from our teaching back in chapter 8, um, that little horn came up, which was not the Antichrist. It was Antiochus Epiphanes, and we had a, a pretty good study on that. Uh, and if you, if you want to go back into that, get on our website, uh, cccalvarychapelcolumbia.org, go to our archive, and you can pull that teaching back up. And then finally, the Roman Empire, right, which was the legs of iron, we now see as that dreadful beast, okay, the dreadful beast. And it had the ten horns and another little horn that comes up a different little horn, not from the four, from the Grecian Empire. This little horn comes up out of the ten-nation confederacy, which we believe is the, uh, the revived Roman Empire. Okay, so, and then, of course, you know, we got into chapter 8, and we talked about the ram and the goat more extensively, uh, which, again, you can get online and, and, and look at those teachings. So, these, these visions of the statues and the beasts from 2 and 7 and 8, I just want to remind you that they are the exact same empires that are going to be coming before the end of time. Most of them have already come and gone, right? We're just waiting for the last one. So with a quick review, let's dive into the verses today. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now we read that, right? So we pick up where Daniel left off last week. He was in the midst of prayer. Remember, he was focusing on asking the Lord to forgive him and the nation of Israel for their sins. Remember, they were taken into captivity for their transgressions and for their sins. And he was identifying with them, not just saying, Lord, forgive those dumb people for going far away from what you've called us to do. He identified with the sin also. And so that's where we pick it up there. And then the the man, Gabriel, we know it's really the angel Gabriel, shows up about the time of the evening offering. Now, I found this to be pretty interesting. And I'm gonna, I need to apologize real quick. I've got like 12 pages, right? But I got like 40 minutes to get through it. And there was still a whole lot more stuff that I could have brought in because Tim and I talk about this period of time all the time, you know, that 70th week. And there's so much. We could go on for hours and hours and hours. Right, Gene? <laughs> we could. Um, so I may talk a little fast because I want to get through everything. So anyway, the evening offering, I found it interesting because Daniel, for almost 70 years, this is probably around 67 or 68 years into the captivity, he hadn't seen the temple. It had been destroyed. He hadn't been watching and hearing and smelling the sights and sounds of the the Levitical priesthood doing the, the daily sacrifices and offerings, which was very integral. In the, in the daily life of the Jewish man. It was extremely important, right? Yet he still related what was going on in Babylon and the vision that he received to what would have been going on in the temple time. So it's a little detail, a little window, I think, into his heart 
his desire to still be in the presence of the Lord. Here he is in captivity in Babylon, but he still had a desire to be in the presence of the Lord. And he longed to be removed from the ungodly temptations and practices that he probably saw every day in Babylon. Now think about it. They needed the temple because to them, the presence of God dwelled in the temple. So being away from the temple, having the temple destroyed, it was a major cut to the religious life of a Jew. The presence of God wasn't there anymore. It'd be like a fish out of water. They didn't know what to do. But praise Jesus, we don't have to worry about that because he doesn't dwell in a, in a building or a temple. He dwells in the hearts of those that has yielded their lives to him as their Lord and Savior. This is a building. It's not the church. You, the body of Christ, are the church. We could be meeting in the parking lot, and we're still having church, right? So I, I just found it interesting that he longed to be in the presence of God, in the, in the presence of the temple. And so it kind of it touched my heart because the Lord was speaking to me, saying, look, shouldn't your heart be the same? Shouldn't your heart be desiring fervently to be out of this system of decadence and ungodliness and the daily temptations that we have to go through, just like Daniel? Remember, he was in Babylon, probably one of the most decadent societies we have ever known, right? Remember, there's nothing new under the sun, right? The same things that they were doing then, they're doing now. We've just kind of perfected it, if you know what I mean, okay? So our heart should be the same. We should be desiring to be in the presence of the Lord. And it kind of reminds me also of Philippians 1, verses 21 to 22. He says, for, this, is, this is him saying, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far greater. You see, the same heart. Daniel wanted to be out of the, the pagan, ungodly system and be in the presence of the Lord. Paul says, look, I'd prefer to be in the presence of my Lord right now. But we still have a job to do as a church, amen? So the idea is our hearts should be desiring to be closer to the Lord. And then in verse 22, it goes on to, you know, we read it. It, it says that he, he showed up to give him skill to understand. Now, last week, we talked about all wisdom and all knowledge comes from the Lord, right? It's not our great intellect in reading Scripture, right? It's from the Lord. And in this case, that wisdom and knowledge and understanding was given through the angel Gabriel. I also want you to remember from last week, prophecy has two purposes, the first purpose is to prove that God exists and he is sovereign in the affairs of men. And I used this scripture last week, but I'm going to use it again. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Again, proving that God is outside of time and space. He knows the future before it ever happened, and he had it written down to prove he's God, 
and he's sovereign in the affairs of men. And the second purpose of prophecy is to prepare our hearts for what God plans to do in our future. Through prophecy, we should have hearts that are repentant, and we should seek and pursue a more godly and purposeful life, like Daniel that we talked about last week, right? As we wait for the fulfillment of his word. 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, kind of confirms that. The purpose of prophecy, right? And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we get a lot of different interpretations from people about what this verse means in Scripture and what that verse means in prophecy. But you know what? It's not of any personal interpretation, right? It's the Word of God. And the way we, and I'm going to tell you right up front, if, if people have a different opinion about how they interpret Daniel or the book of Revelation, it's probably because they're allegorizing a great deal of what they're reading. You see, God was very specific on the things that he said about how they would happen, the people that would be involved when it happens, and time frames of how it happens. So it's not just a story or allegory, right? It's true. That's how we know he is true. Amen? Okay, so moving on. Um, the Lord doesn't, and this is a prophecy, right? The Lord doesn't try to hide what's coming upon the world as if he wants to catch as many people not ready as he can because of their unbelief, because they haven't been paying attention. It's the exact opposite. Through prophecy, he wants as many people to be ready and looking for his return with repentant hearts by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, verses 9 and 11. And I'm going to take a little drink of water right now. Excuse me. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, meaning prophecy, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And then in verse 11 of chapter 9, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, look, the Lord is waiting for that, the fulfillment of the Gentiles to come in, right? He wants that last person to come to repentance, and he's long and he's patient. But while that's happening, we should be looking at our hearts and asking the Lord, change me. Make me more like you. I don't want to be the same person. Look, guys, if you came to Christ and nobody sees a difference between you yesterday and the day and the day after and the day after and the day after from coming to Christ, then you're probably still living for yourself, Right? So the whole idea is we should be seeking the Lord to change us, to mold us into the image of his son is what the scripture tells us. And of course, that's a, that's a process, right? That's called sanctification. It doesn't happen overnight. You are saved overnight. The moment you ask the Lord into your heart and you confess your sins, 
you are saved. Now, the sanctification process, the, the, the getting rid of all the things that we're used to doing, right? The serving ourself, that may be a process. And that's the Lord that does it. It's nobody else. It's between you and the Lord. So, you know what? If there's some things that are there, seek the Lord. Ask him, Lord, I want to serve you. Whatever's there that is not glorifying you, Lord, I, I give it up to you. And he is faithful to do that. Amen? Okay, so. Um, some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I don't like prophecy. It's just too hard to understand. Well, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. That's how I felt years ago. And then this little scripture reminded me, and it's in James 1, verse 5. It's a, real, it's a real easy solution to the problem, right? It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given. So if you're truly seeking the word, if you're asking the Lord to illuminate your heart, it tells us right there, he will. It doesn't say, well, if you have cleaned yourself up enough, if you've read enough scripture, if you've been a really good Christian, then I'll give you understanding to the word no. It says, if you ask, I will give it to you. He is a loving father. Amen? So if prophecy is a tough thing for you, start seeking the Lord. Open up to those prophetic scriptures. I mean, the book of Revelation is amazing. And it's the only book that says at the very beginning, there's a blessing if you read it and keep it. So I say, start reading it. Ask the Lord to change your heart. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom, and he will. So the application for this section about prophecy is we need to be reading the scripture, and we need to be reading the prophetic scriptures and asking God for wisdom while we prepare our hearts for his soon return. Amen? Amen. Okay, now let's get into the meat and potatoes. And I've got 20 minutes, oh man. Okay, the meat and potatoes. Let's start in verse 24. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. That's important. We'll get to it. To finish the transgression, there's six of these, by the way, uh, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, there's six things there. Now, in, in the term 70 weeks, the word for weeks there is the word Shavuah. It's a Hebrew word. And according to the ancient Hebrew and the majority of biblical scholars, which I am not one of them, by the way, it refers to a set of sevens, a set of sevens, or week of years. So each week, each week would be made up of seven years. So one week would be equal to how many years? Hey, all right. Now, we're doing some math. I was a math teacher in the, in the past. So two weeks would be how many years? Fourteen. Okay. All right. So three years would be? Man, we're good. Amen to that. So it's a week of years. All right. Now, so 70 weeks would be seven. No, it'd be 70 times seven. Uh, I never got that high in my sevens. So I'll tell you right now, 70 times seven is 490 years. That's how long the complete culmination of those six things that he just mentioned in those 70 weeks would take, 490 years. Now, specifically, it says that it's focused on 
Daniel's people. Who were Daniel's people at that time? Anybody? The Jews, right? The Jews, the nation of Israel. This prophecy, the 70 weeks prophecy, even though some Bible teachers try to make it about the church, it is not. The church did not replace Israel, right? They're still under God's control and judgment for their, for their, for their depravity, but they're still God's people. And it says right there, this is for your people, the Jewish nation, and for your holy city, which is the city of Jerusalem, okay? So let's make sure we understand that. So let's, let's go ahead and take a look at these, these six things, all right, real quickly. And again, all these six have to be completed in 490 years. Now, the first three, the finishing the transgression, making into sins, and making reconciliation, they all have to do with the rebellion against God from the fall of Adam to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those three things having to do with, God, with the rebellion against God. Now, the payment to God for my sins and for your sins, right, the transgressions, the sins, iniquities, they were paid for by the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross in 32 A.D., which, by the way, is at the end of the 69 weeks, but we'll get to that in a minute, okay? Um, take a look at John 19, verses 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, meaning he's on the cross, it's a, he's about ready to give up the Spirit, right? That all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge of sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Anybody ever see those, those bracelets that say Testelestai? Ever, ever seen somebody wear a bracelet? Anybody? Raise your hand so we know there's more than one. There's one, there's two, there's three, good. Four? Good. It's a bracelet that believers wear, and it says Testelestai. Now, um, the Greek word for it is finished is the ancient Greek, or, uh, Greek word Testelestai, and it means a fulfilling or a paying a fulfilling or a paying of what? Well, it was often used in the first and second centuries as a notation on a bill, as payment for your debt. In other words, they would put tetelestai on your receipt, showing your debt is paid in full. So the whole point, the, the payment of sins and transgressions and iniquities Right? Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Your debt has been paid for. Even any future debt. See, that's what folks don't realize. He paid for our sins, past, present, and in the future. Jesus doesn't have to die on the cross again, folks. He died once and for all. That's what the scripture declares. The difference is we need to yield ourselves to a life of godliness and holiness. He paid for it. 100%, your debt is paid for. You are set free from the bondage of sin and death. But it's only if you submit your life to him. That's what you need to do, okay? So let's move on, okay? Your debt is paid full. Praise Jesus for that. Now, number four, bringing in everlasting righteousness. Well, that's twofold, right? 
Number one, as believers in Jesus, you were made righteous through the atoning blood of Jesus. You have been given everything, given everything for righteousness and godliness, right? Everything. There's nothing lacking. If you're in Christ, you are a living righteousness through Christ. His righteousness was imputed to you. You didn't earn it. But then the secondary thing is, when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom for that year reign, he is going to bring in everlasting righteousness. So that's kind of a twofold thing, which makes me think, well, that can't happen within 490 years because Jesus hasn't returned to set up his kingdom yet, right? And this prophecy happened thousands of years ago, so there's got to be a discrepancy here, but there's not, and we'll get to that. Number five, the sealing up of vision and prophecy. To seal means to lock up, to put a seal upon, or to be stopped. Remember, in, back in the old days, the, the folks would put their signet ring on some wax and seal it with their ring, right? And that was like a lock. If anybody broke that seal, it was under penalty of death. So the whole idea here is to seal up or stop um, the vision and the prophecy. Now, we know that prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you read there in Scripture, it tells you what the gifts are, and it says that we are to seek prophecy. So then that prophecy isn't stopping, okay? And we also know that in Joel 2.28, it tells us that uh, uh, young men will have dreams and visions, and old men too, right? That the Lord's going to pour out His Spirit upon everybody. So visions and dreams and prophecy aren't stopping. So then what is stopping? Well, this is my personal opinion. You know, chapter Mike, verse 1, it's not the scripture, okay? I believe this refers to the first coming of the Messiah. When he came, that was it. There's no other scriptures, there's no other prophecies saying he's going to come and die again, or he didn't come the first time, he's still waiting in the wings to show up. So I truly believe this has to do with the coming of Jesus the first time to pay for our sins on the cross. And then finally, number six, to anoint the most holy. Now, if you look at the language that's used, the language used refers to a place and not a person. Now, the most holy was referred to many times in the Old Testament as the holy of holies. So I truly believe this refers to the new temple, the third new temple that is going to be built in the future and will be anointed. Okay? And remember, keep in mind all these things even future prophecy, even the future temple to be anointed must happen in 490 years or the 70-week prophecy. Um, if you'd put up the 70-week uh, image up here, if you would, please, and kind of leave it up there for a little bit. The 70, there we go, okay. Um, this, this is a really good representation. I mean, I could talk to you all day long, um, but this is a really good representation of the 70 weeks. Remember, in verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. You see, it's, it's broken up. Seven weeks and 62 weeks for a total of 69 weeks, right? And then it says that, uh, notice that the street and the wall shall be built even in perilous times. Now, notice the divisions again, Okay. From the command to build Jerusalem to the coming of the, the Messiah will be a total of seven weeks or 49 years. 
And then a second set, 62 weeks, which is 434 years. So basically, Artaxerxes gives a, gives a command or a decree. Seven, seven weeks of 49, 49 years happens, and that's when the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem happened, right? And then there's another 62 weeks, which is 434 years, before Messiah shows up. And we're going to break that down. From history, we know that three different decrees were given about rebuilding the temple, right, um, and the walls. In Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8, we read that Artaxerxes, right, actually gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem in 445. The three previous, the one by um, Cyrus in 538, Darius in 517, and Artaxerxes in 548, all had to do with rebuilding the temple. None of those was about rebuilding Jerusalem. The only one was, was the one from Nehemiah, uh, which was Artaxerxes in 445 B.C. Now, this is kind of cool. The, uh, the decree was on the first of Nisan, 445 B.C. The first of Nisan, the Jewish calendar, which in our Gregorian calendar was March 14th. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? We know about Palm Sunday, right? And that was on the 10th of Nisan, which was April 6th in the Gregorian calendar, April 6th of 32 AD. And there's a gentleman um, by the name of uh, Sir uh, Robert Anderson. And if you would put that one up there, Sir Robert Anderson, he calculated the total number of days is 483 years from the time of the decree to Palm Sunday. Now... This is, there's a lot up there, but we're going to kind of focus on the middle part, right? So we know that the decree was given on March 14th, the first of Nisan. And we know that Jesus came in to, on Palm Sunday, right, on April 6th, which is the 10th of Nisan. Now, if you look at the numbers, that's actually 69 years, which is the 7, right, and the 62. Combine it, it's 69 years. From the decree to the coming of the Messiah when Jesus showed up, is 69 years. And if you multiply the 69 times the 360, because it's a Jewish calendar, it's 160 days. That was their Jewish calendar. You get a total of 173,880 days, which to the day is the day that Jesus rode in on that colt. Now, I'm sorry, guys. Is prophecy just to hide things, or is the prophecy to let you know that Jesus is God and he's in control? Okay? As they say, you can't make this stuff up, right? 173,880 days to the day fulfilling Scripture. Now, here's another little cool side note. The 10th of Nisan, the day that Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday was the day, which was about four days before the Passover, right, is the day that families and the Levites were choosing the lambs to be slain. They were given it the last once over to make sure there was no blemishes or hairs. So they were looking at and choosing the sacrifice. And that's the day that Jesus presented himself to the nation as their king and as their Passover lamb. The same day. 
I just thought that was amazing. Okay, so I want us to check out um, Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then in Luke 19, verses 37 through 40, it says, Then as he, this is Jesus, was, was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to, re- began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And that was a prophetic prophecy, right? That when the Messiah comes in, they will be singing Hosanna, right? We, have, we know what Hosanna means. There's a song, Hosanna, that we sing all the time. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones that were more concerned with the do's and don'ts instead of relationship, right? They called out to Jesus and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples for saying that you're the king coming in as God. And what did he say? Bless you. What did he say? He says, I tell you, if these keep silent, even the rocks will cry out. Again, a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember that. 173,880 days to the day. Now, some will say, well, but wait a minute. And this is kind of off my my script here. Some will say, well, but that was the Jewish calendar. But we have the Gregorian calendar. We have 365 days and a quarter, right? We have leap year every four years, right? Well, Sir Robert Anderson did the same thing. He used the, the Julian calendar. And he went back and did the same thing, and he added the leap years in, and he added other days that go from the, 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 uh, the Jewish calendar to the uh, Gregorian calendar. And guess what he came up with? Exact same thing. doesn't matter how you slice that loaf of bread. It's going to come out the same. Jesus is God. He told us from things of old, the things of the future that were going to happen to know that we can trust him. See, that's the whole purpose. We can trust him. We can trust his word. It's always 100% on point. It's not 99%. It's 100%. In the Old Testament, the scripture says, here's the test of a prophet in Deuteronomy. If a prophet says one thing that is not of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, da 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 and it doesn't come to happen, Guess what they were to do to that prophet? Kill him. Kill him. God doesn't want 99%. He's 100% all the time. Amen? Okay, all right. Let's move along because I'm really pushing the time now. Okay? Um, Let's get to verse 26. It says, So after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. So, once again, after the 62 weeks, meaning the 7 plus the 62, total of 69, right? The Messiah will be cut off. Now, that word is karath. And it means to cut off, to cut down, to eliminate, or to kill. And we know that Jesus was killed just a few days later after riding into into Jerusalem. 
So he was cut off. But not for himself. What does that mean? Well, it wasn't because of anything he did, right? He didn't commit any, any violation of Roman law. He didn't violate any, any, any uh, Jewish law, right? I mean, he kept everything perfectly. So then what does it mean that he was cut off but not for himself? Well, it wasn't he was killed for what he did. It was he was killed for what we did. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Scripture tells us that the Father put all of my sins, and just don't want to pop your bubble, but all of your sins too, on his sinless Son, Jesus, to pay our debt. Remember, to Telestai, right? And it says, For he made him, the Father made Jesus, he made him, who knew no sin. He did not sin. He lived a sinless life. He made him to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in Philippians 2.8 tells us, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even to the, de even to the death of the cross. You see, Jesus was cut off, but it had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with you and me. He was cut off for my account and your account, and we are no longer debtors to sin. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so let's get into verse 26, or the end of verse 26. So the, the second part there says, and the people of the prince who is to come, you have to break that apart, the people of the prince who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, uh, Laura, if you'd put the statue of empires up there again. The people of the prince who is to come. Well, we know from history, right, that the people that destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70 was the iron, the Roman Empire. We know that the Romans were the ones to destroy the temple and, and the city in AD 70. And we also know that the general of that army, Antiochus Epiphanes, which again, we talked a lot about in chapter 8, and again, if you want to watch that, go online, all right? Um, he never demanded worship. He did set up a temple of Zeus in the Holy of Holies, right? And he did slaughter pigs upon the altar, right? We know all those things. But he never demanded worship as God. And he never made a seven-year... Right? One week, seven year covenant of peace with the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, he destroyed them all. He destroyed them all. There was the, 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 um, they calculate that there was probably over a million that were slaughtered in, within the city walls. A million. So, anyway, that brings us to the understanding then, right? Um, because there was no seven year covenant right there, okay? That brings us to the understanding that there must be an interval between the end of that 69 weeks. When Jesus was cut off, when he died, was crucified, and rose again, there's got to be an interval from that point to the last week, the last seven years, right? Because we've got 69 weeks or 483, there's still another one week left or seven years. Gee, where have I read that before somewhere, okay? So there's got to be an interval. How do we know this? Well, we know that God was extremely specific 
on the actual days in prophecy from the decree to the Messiah, right? And we know that, that he was very specific on the number of years for the last week of prophecy and what would happen in that last week. Now, we know that from the death of Jesus, right, to the destruction of the temple wasn't seven years. It was actually 38 years. He died in 32 A.D. 70 A.D. was when the temple was destroyed. Well, that's not seven years. That's 38. So, again, that shows us there's got to be a break. There's got to be break there. Uh, could you put that back up for a minute, Lori? The, uh, the one with the timeline, I think it was. Yeah. So there's the trial, triumphal infamy, 32 A.D. There's the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, right? But looking this way, a lot more than seven years happened to A.D. 70, like I just said, and time has gone on and on and on. So there's got to be a break, an interval in there. How long is it? Not sure, but we're, we're going to look at it, right? Okay, so, um, the prince who is to come. The people of the prince who is to come. We know it was the, the people were the Romans, and so there's a prince coming in the future, right? He must be of the lineage of the people who destroyed the temple. So he must be of Roman descent. Now, if you'll put the, um, the image of the two legs up there. We know that this coming leader, what we know is the Antichrist, which will come to power at the beginning of the seven years, right? Uh, it's the two legs. It says two legs, I believe. Uh-oh. It's a map. It's got two legs of the Roman Empire. Oh, there we go. Praise God. We typically um, always focus on Western Europe as the Antichrist is going to come out of Western Europe. He's going to be a German or he's going to be uh, from Britain or somewhere from, Eastern or from Western Europe, right? But that's because we sometimes get kind of myopic on how we look at things. And we forget that the Roman Empire also had an Eastern leg. So the, the kind of mustard color is the the Western leg, which, you know, Western Europe, but there's the Eastern leg. You notice uh, where Jerusalem and Israel would be down here, right? On the right-hand side. If you go directly north, you got Pergamos, right? And Constantinople. That's modern-day Turkey. That's the Eastern leg. So the Antichrist is going to come out of the Roman Empire, the old Roman Empire, but he could come from any of those areas from, from the lineage of the past. So don't be so, you know, narrow-minded narrow or narrow vision on where he comes from. He could come from anywhere from the Roman Empire, whether it's the western or the eastern leg. And what's interesting is Constantine moved the Roman capital from Rome, and I think it was 324, I think it was um, A.D., 3rd century, to Constantinople. It was actually called uh, Byzantium at the time, but because he was such a humble dude, he renamed it Constantinople after himself, right? And that's where the capital of Rome was for hundreds and hundreds of years until the uh, Muslims came in and conquered it. And it is now, Constantinople is now called Istanbul. Anybody ever heard of that? Istanbul, modern Turkey. And a little side, real quick. Just this last week, um, the 
the place that was built by Emperor Constantine, you've probably seen pictures of this huge, beautiful church building. That's uh, why it's got um, spirals and everything. That was known as a Christian church. And it's been a major tourist thing for hundreds and hundreds of years now. Last week, um, their, their leader, uh, Recep Erdogan, convinced their Supreme Court to declare it a Muslim mosque that happened just this last week. So that place, which was known as the seat of, of modern-day Christianity, so to speak, in Turkey, okay, is now a Muslim mosque. And what it did was the nation it was... It basically got a lot of support from the moderate people in Turkey to go over to, er to Erdogan. Um, and I'm just going to leave it at that because we know that he's a big player in what's going on today. So, Okay, so um, what we do know is that the last empire comes uh, to power. That comes to power will be from the old Roman Empire. As we, as we learned in the past scriptures, that he's going to come out of those ten horns that come up from Daniel 2, 7, Revelation 13. Uh, and that's that little horn that rises, right, of the ten nations. Is he from the western or the eastern leg? I don't know. Will we see him? No. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. And, and we're going to go on and talk about that. Um, go ahead and put the timeline up, please. The timeline. So finishing up with verse 27. He says, then he, this is that leader that winds up coming back to power from the old Roman Empire for that last week, right, that last seven years. It says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So once again, this is another timeline that gives us some information, right? Again, we have the decree 4045, the, the 7 plus 62 or 69 weeks, Jesus shows up, he gets crucified, Jerusalem is destroyed in AD 70. Now, you, you notice when this was made, right? When this timeline was made, 2009, okay? Is that longer than seven years, by the way? Yeah, so once again, we know that there's still that interval going on. And then finally... That last seven years is when this dude from the old Roman Empire shows up and says, hey, calm down, I got the plan. Got it under control, just listen to me, we'll get peace, we'll all live in harmony, and we'll all sing Kumbaya around the campfire in Israel. That's basically what he's going to do, okay? Now the word confirm there is interesting, it's the word gavar, uh, and it means to prevail stronger. Two things. So this Antichrist is going to make a peace agreement with the Jews for a period of seven years, which starts what we know as the seven-year tribulation period. Now, he either forces a peace treaty on him, on them, using the term prevail, right, to force or to, uh, to overcome, or he may take an existing plan that's out there that doesn't seem to be working, and he makes it stronger or better. Now, I, in our home fellowship a few weeks ago, I think it was maybe a month ago, I don't know, we talked about you know, the, the peace plan of the century, the deal of the century that President Trump came up with with the Jewish people uh, and the Palestinians over there. 
And, of course, the Palestinians said it was dead on arrival, right? And the Jewish nation were like, this is great, right? It's better than sliced bread, right? Well, it's very possible that the workings of that, it's possible, right, that the workings, what's in that agreement, this man that comes on the scene could take that and make it better. He could put more carrots out there for both sides. Don't know, but that's possible. And that's what that word means. It's either he's going to enforce it with rule, or he's going to make an agreement stronger or better. Okay? Um, either way, it's going to happen. But then it tells us that in the middle of the week, so remember, this is a Jewish-centered scripture. In the middle of the week, okay, seven years, three and a half. Isn't that half of seven, right? Okay. At three and a half years, this dude goes into the temple, and we know this from the book of Revelation, right? Uh, he breaks the covenant. He stops the sacrifices and the offerings, and he declares himself to be the grand poobah. He, he basically says, look, I'm God, and you will worship me. Now, this tells us before you can step into a temple and declare yourself to be God, there has to be a temple, doesn't it? I mean, that's logical reason. I mean, my intellect didn't take too much to come up with that realization, right? There's got to be a temple. Before you can step into it, you've got to have one. Now, how many people know about the Temple Institute? Anybody? There's a few of us. All right. The Temple Institute, it's a Jewish group over in Israel. And they are preparing to build the third temple. Right now, they have over 60 temple items which are needed to be used in temple service. They have them ready to be used at a moment's notice, all ready to go. And just here's a few of the samples of the 60. The golden breastplate for the high priest. Remember the golden press breastplate with um, all the stones representing the nations or the, the tribes of Israel? It's solid gold. They've got it. It's on display. Temple Institute, have it on display. They have the high priest garments and the clothing for all the priests. All ready to go. The golden menorah. It's a thousand pounds. Solid gold. It's not some other material overlaid with gold. It's solid gold. Engineers, when they first came out with it a number of years ago, um, they were amazed because gold is very malleable, right? And being a thousand pounds of solid gold, they were amazed at how the, 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 the goldsmiths were able to construct it and to get it to stay. And it's on display also. A thousand pounds of gold. I'd just like a couple ounces of that. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's, that's an idea. A thousand pounds times how many ounces times $1,800 an ounce. Wow, man. Okay, the table of showbread, the golden altar of incense, the architectural plans for the building of the temple itself. They have the plans done, okay? They already have all the money that's needed. That money has been donated and set aside already. They don't need another shekel, I guess it is, right? It's all done. The materials are ready. Construction companies over there have already said, this is what you need, here it is. It's in storage. And the engineers say that they can take those materials and those plans 
and they can have that new third temple complete and ready for use within a year, one year. They have the cornerstone, the cornerstone of the temple. They have it. Just recently, they had a ceremony there below the ground, right? And they actually, the Levitical priesthood that they do have actually did a sacrifice and anointed this cornerstone with the blood of a sacrifice. So they have the cornerstone ready to set. And that, you know, the cor- now Jesus is the chief cornerstone, right? He's the chief cornerstone in our hearts. But they're looking, they're still looking for that third temple. Um, the training and the medical testing for the priesthood has been ongoing for years. What do I mean, medical testing? Well, it's real simple. Now, some of you are too young for this, but most of you are, are like me, old. Do you remember the Human Genome Project? The Human Genome Project, okay? That was done between 1990 and 2003. Okay, 13 years. And it was a group of scientists that came together and they were mapping the entire human genome codes of our body at one time. It took them 13 years. Now, what's cool about this is that they accidentally found a specific marker that is only found in Jewish men that are a lineage of the Cohens, which that's political priesthood. It was an accident, right? No, God is sovereign. He, he knew that they were going to have this in 13 years, Human Genome Project, okay? And he allowed them to find it. So in Israel, the Temple Institute, they test the guys because they have to have a priesthood to do all the, the temple work, right? They test them. They find out if they got the marker to make sure they're a Cohen, and then they put them into training. They've been training these guys for years. They know what they're doing, okay? So, you know, kind of wrapping it up here, um, the preparations for the temple um, tells us just how close the world is to building the final third temple that will be standing in the time of the tribulation. Now, we see the birth pains, you know, and I, and I, I had so many more pages that I was going to get into about all the things that the Antichrist would be doing. But, you know, I mean, we only have like, you know, 45, 50 minutes, you know, and I don't think you guys want to stay here till 4 o'clock, even though it's raining. So I, I, I kind of really condensed it down to, to this. We see the birth pains right before us today in this world. We know the scripture tells us that there's going to be things that are coming upon this world that's going to make hearts men's fail, right? And think about it. We see the, the world economic disaster thanks to this COVID-19, right? We see wars and rumors of wars like never before. We see ethnic unrest, which by the way, when the scripture talks about nation against nation, right? It's ethnos, and that word is ethnicities. It's not just a nation. It also has to do with races will be going at each other, and we're seeing that, okay? Um, The lawlessness running rampant, you know, the spirit of lawlessness that we see. Russia, Turkey, Iran aligning themselves together for the first time in human history. The first time in human history that these three nations are coming together, aligning themselves against one nation, Israel, and we know they're right in Syria, right across the border right now. 
the nanobot quantum tattoo technology. Nanobot quantum tattoo technology that can be used according to those that are developing it, right? For vaccines, right? Got to have the vaccine to go back to work. Got to have the vaccine to get on the plane, whatever, right? It can be used for vaccines, and it can be used for a cashless banking system. Cashless, no more money. Well, no money, can't pass the, the virus with dirty money, right? But also it leads to the idea that somebody can control everything that you do. Somebody will know what you buy and what you sell, right? So all these things are right before our eyes, and that's just to name a few. Again, man, I could have gone for hours and hours about the things of the last chapter of Daniel uh, 9 and 27 and into Revelation. But I don't want to scare everybody, and I don't want you to be bored to death, so just leave it at that. There's so many things that are coming right now that it should tell us prophecy is real. God is real. And he wants me to know that he's on the way. If I know these things are getting so close, the scripture tells us, when you see these things beginning, look up for your redemption is near. We see these things beginning. Israel is ready to build that temple. And it can be done in a year, which means we may be gone before that year is up, if you think about it, right? No, I'm not a date setter, but we know we're so close. So are you a little, little concerned, a little scared? I hope not, because believers in Jesus will not see the tribulation according to Scripture. There's so many verses, but you know, specifically 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, tell us that we're not going to be here. But I want to leave you with a little hope. And as the worship team comes up, I just, I just want to focus on this one verse right here. And, and I'm going to read it to you, okay? It's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> and it's verses 1 through 11. This should give you hope. When you see the things cracking off and everything going on and you've you got your stomach in knots, and you're not sure about where you are with the Lord, it says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, for when they say, that's a reference to people that dwell on the earth, okay? Peace and safety, which is the cry for the peace agreement. Peace and safety, you hear it all the time then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they, they shall not escape. But you, and you, and you, everybody, those that are online, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that that day should overtake you. You were all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us, you know, there's the, the them or they and then the us, right? But let us who are of the day 
Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God, oh man, this is the one, God did not appoint us to wrath. And guys, the tribulation period is the wrath of God poured out upon the world for its unbelief. But we're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. You see, when you see the things that are going on in the world and you get all concerned about, man, is, is it the end? Don't worry about it. It says to comfort one another because you're not going to be here in that final seven years because you are not appointed to wrath. Because you were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Remember, the wrath of God is for those whose debts have never been paid. Those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So you're not appointed to wrath. Because the wrath was put upon Jesus for you and for me. So my question is then, in in closing... What is prophecy to you? Is it scary? Is it something that you don't even want to talk about? Or is it something that encourages you to say, Lord, I know that I haven't been the best believer, but it's not about my works or righteousness. It's about what he did for me. Amen? And all he asks you to do is humble yourself and say, Lord, change my heart. Strengthen me. Gift me. Make my walk stronger. And that's for believers. But then the question also is, are you a believer in Jesus? Remember, everybody who says, oh, yeah, I believe in God, doesn't necessarily have a relationship with Jesus. Remember, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship with him. And so we're going to close, and and I'm going to give both those groups an opportunity to check their heart before we go any further. And, you know, there'll be some folks up here. Um, Pastor Brian will be up here. I think my wife will be up here if you're a lady and you want to speak to a lady. Um, now is the time. You know, Scripture says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow, do we? Do we? So we need to make sure that today our hearts are prepared to meet him. If this is the day he calls us home, whether in the air or whether it's through some devastating accident or disease. Today is the day of salvation. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, Father, we want to come to you right now. We thank you for your word that does truly show us where we are in such need of a loving, forgiving Savior. And so I want to pray right now for my brothers and sisters who are in Christ. You've committed your life to Christ. You have a relationship with him, but, but you know that there's some areas that you've been lacking in. And that's the purpose of prophecy, to remind us what kind of people ought we to be looking forward to that day when you return. So this is just for my brothers and sisters. If you know that you need to commit some things to him, that you've been holding on in your life, that you have not been willing to let go, just raise your hand. Acknowledge that before the Lord, that you know that you need to acknowledge some things. Praise you. Praise God. There's, there's hands all over the room. 
So, Father, I want to pray for them right now in the blessed name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've done the work. Your spirit has done the work in their hearts. And now, Lord, your word declares that if we call upon you, that you will answer us. So, Father, our brothers and sisters here that have said, Lord, there's some areas that I need to give over, I pray that you would just meet them where they are right now. And that thing, whatever it is, Lord, fill them with the power of your presence, strengthen them, Lord, and gift them to get through that area that you would be glorified. I thank you, Lord, for them right now. And now, if there's any of you that are here that have never made that actual commitment to the Lord, or if you're online and, and you've said, you know, I, I grew up in church or I always thought I was a Christian, but I don't think I have a relationship with him. Now is your time. If you've never made a profession of faith, you can never think of a time where you said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need your forgiveness and I know it can only be done through the blood that you shed for me on the cross. If you've never done that and your heart is pounding out of your chest right now, now is the time for you. So still, with every, every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you, if you know that you need a relationship, it's not about what you can do, it's about what he did for you, just slip your hand up. And if you're at home, online, if that's you, let us know. Call us at the church and let us know that you made a profession of faith in Christ. And so for all of us, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a wonderful, awesome, loving God, that your word is for a purpose. And I pray that our hearts have been stirred up to live lives, to serve you. And as we see these things coming, thank you, Jesus, that we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And Lord, we look forward to this next couple of weeks with Pastor Brian Lord, to, I ask that you would bless him, that he would uh, open up the word to us the next couple of weeks, that we would even draw closer to you. So we thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen.